Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 65, Keep Buggering On. This week we're discussing season 4, episode 4 of Buffy, Fear Itself, and series 5, episode 3 of Doctor Who, Victory of the Daleks. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, starting with Buffy this week. Um, and I want to start with Gaknar, mm. the fear demon, and yes. uh, sort of what his role is and the kind of what it is that he stands for. Um, one of the first things that kind of struck me as sort of a little side note is there are occasionally things in Buffy that remind me strongly of things in Harry Potter. Um, and mm. it's usually funny because often when that happens, you can't point to one or the other as having come first. They seem to be born sort of simultaneously. Um, and so this was one of those things. Like, this episode aired in 1999. Um, so the same year, J.K. Rowling publishes The Prisoner of Azkaban, which has in it, you know, the Boggarts and the Dementors. And hmm. they are very similar in concept to Gaknar, I think. Um, you know, Boggarts sort of become what it is that you most fear, you know, to, to sure. that's sort of what they do. Um, sure. And then, of course, the remedy for Boggarts is to undercut them with humor. So you are supposed to imagine them as something silly and laugh at it. Um, and that's how yeah. you sort of combat the things that you fear. Um, and then Dementors are sort of more, uh, more of a metaphor, I think, for depression rather than fear, the kind of numbing crushing mm. inability to sort of related to fear but more sort of the the passivity that comes from that um and rather than uh laughter the remedy for them in in as well as sort of you know hope i guess which is what the paterna stands for but of course it's chocolate you know you have to like the right, the basic right. remedy that lupin hands out is bars of chocolate right. to make you feel better um and you also get this, you know, Harry learning to fight these creatures. Um, and, of course, his Boggart turns into a Dementor, which is sort of complex and psychological. His greatest fear mm. is is a depression, you know, is an inability to fight his own fears. And Lupin says, you know, that suggests that what you fear is fear, which is very wise. You know, so that kind of points to the 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 FDR quote, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, which is where we get the name for this episode. So um, yeah, it all sort yeah. of works as a concept. You know, there's some kind of a unity to those two approaches. Um, and you can't really point at one or the other having come first. It seems like they were sort of, you know, developed apart from each other and sort of born sim simultaneously, I guess. Yeah, um, or... Or possibly at least, you know, drawing on similar traditions. Exactly. You know, because I think the idea of, you know, something manifesting fears, you know, into reality. I mean, I'm sure there's probably a lot of, like, horror and that. fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, sort of precedent. Which, so I'm sure, you know, sort of from, like, a, a you know, a common a common background there of, of, of yeah. that idea. Maybe they're both drawing on those sorts of things, yeah. but, but interesting because I think, 
if so, then they're probably drawing on them from those different traditions because Joss Whedon definitely, you know, drew more on on that sort of horror. Yeah. Um, although you do get the very clear fairy tale reference in this too, yes. with with Buffy and the um, little Red Riding uh, Hood, Red, yeah. Red Riding Hood cloak. Um, so you know, maybe maybe there is some similarity there, but but I yeah, know like J.K. And, Rowling and JK very Rowling, definitely and and Rowling drew on the Gothic tradition, which is sort of the roots of exactly. of the horror genre. So they, I think, they so, are playing in, with the same soup, I guess, and making yeah, yeah. sort of. <laughs> happen to be making similar recipes out of the soup, you know? Um, right, right. Or using so similar ingredients it's just anyway. kind yeah. of an interesting, interesting um, point of connection, I think. The other thing that I, I didn't put this in my notes, but um, one of the other things that it reminded me of too is um, I think in the, like as one of the sort of quotes at the beginning of C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, um, he kind of gives a little, uh, quote about how the, the the way to fight the devil is to laugh at him. That that's the one thing he can't fight is to be sort of mocked and scorned and sort of made sure. a figure <laughs> of of ridiculous. And he kind of does that by making, you know, yeah. his, his screw tape and wormwood hopelessly sort of petty minded and and you know sort of bureaucratic and all these sorts of things. Like he sort of makes fun of it but clearly i think both with you know laughing at the dementor or laughing at the boggarts and then with gacknar um <laughs> the whole joke the whole punchline of the episode being that after all this and we can talk about how he makes you afraid of him but when it comes right down to it when you actually see him for what he is he's mm -hmm. ridiculous um yeah. and is a yeah. figure of you know scary in he's scarier to be thought about than anything that he actually merits you know sure. the idea of him is far scarier than the reality of him and in the end he's something that you can sort of you know make fun of and squash like he's a bug so um yeah. i think those are sort of fun ideas especially because i guess with joss working in this horror tradition it is very easy to sort of take the fear very seriously so it's kind of fun and fear is very serious when you're in the midst of it and that's a reality mm -hmm. and it's not saying that those fears aren't painful or legitimate but there's also this recognition of you don't have to let fear control you and maybe your own ideas of your fears are worse than what it is you're actually fearing um yeah you know, yeah, which is the no, whole point of the quote is the fear itself right. is scarier than any one thing you might fear. So. Yep. Yep. Um, which is, yeah, interesting because that's another line that comes from a different World War II yeah, I know. <laughs> era. Yeah, uh, uh, You know, yeah, this, at this least is, that's where it was popularized. But This is the, um, the week for World War II icons. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, apparently. Um, no, I, I'm glad you pointed that out because honestly, when it comes to Harry Potter and and actually even a little bit the same for Buffy, like I always get a little muffled on the timing of it because I, mm. well, both of these things, I I didn't come to either of them until later. So yeah. um, Harry Potter, I actually 
I read the entire series just before the seventh book came out. Okay. So, you know, every, uh, everything that was written up to that point, yeah. I read. And then, like, I literally finished book six as book seven okay. was coming out. And then read book seven, like, right away. So, like, I didn't, yeah. you know, have that same sort of idea like of sort of the timing yeah. of it. Yeah, I read them all in, like... 2006 and 2007 right, I think right, right. is when when they came out so um and then with Buffy I you know they were long past I, I didn't watch those till like 2009 or so mm-hmm. so you know the the show had been done and over for for many years so like putting those sorts of things together in the context I don't think I ever would have would have done that but I'm glad you brought that up because it is interesting to see and it would be interesting to look because you know how much of that is just sort of you know, the zeitgeist of the late nineties right, kind of thing. Right. Like, you know, is there, is this, there's a sort of idea, you know, especially when you think about things like the approaching millennium right. and, you know, it is, it's pre, you know, uh, pre nine eleven. So you're not necessarily thinking of like world terror type stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you're not thinking about fear on that level, but there is sort of that anticipation of the late nineties of what is the new millennium going to bring. So yeah. how much of that is there, uh, in this sort of idea that yeah. maybe, that maybe is just yeah, sort of and, around. And just that both stories are dealing with adolescence, you know, that maybe there's something yeah, yeah, of about course. that age that makes this sort of story, you know, appropriate that, uh, it's, it's more about, anxiety than anything else it's not necessarily about a monster or about a real difficulty it's more about your own psycho like your your own psychology in relation to fear yeah you know no absolutely and i think and that's you know with both of them i mean i think you know for buffy you're you're talking about the sort of the the liminal period that is college right like this this period of change and and you know coming into personhood uh, more so than you are already. I mean, not to say that none of that has happened earlier either, but you know, certainly that's, that's, I think where they're going with that. And, and yeah, I mean, that same thing in Harry Potter as well, Mm -hmm. uh, I think is, is a big theme for both of those. But I guess, I guess the only reason I bring up like the, the late nineties and the new millennium and stuff is because I just, I mean, I was in college at that time. So, you know, this, this is, there was a lot of sort of yeah. fear, yeah. you know, about what, what the new millennium was going to bring. And I mean, I don't, I think there were you know, it's kind of silly to laugh at, but there were people who really believed in things like, you know, uh, the, the, the 2000, the millennium bug, you know, like, yeah. you know, all of the world going to pot and that kind of thing. Yeah. Now, I mean, most people didn't really think that was necessarily going to be the case, but there was always that little bit of doubt in people's mind too. So like yeah. you did have that sort of things and, and just, you know, I think the fact that you have at least these two big stories, I mean, these were well yeah. watched and well, you know, read stories between the two of them. Um, Maybe maybe that even got bigger later, but you know they were still fairly big at the time. So yeah, well, you and, know, and, you know, and I've been working my way through Philip Sanders' enormous blog, um, and 
I'm in the the period of the 90s now um, when Doctor Who was off television, but he's still covering what was being done with it in that time in spin-off media and then also what else was going on in the culture and history and everything. And he very much sure. characterizes the 90s as as obsessed with paranoia that this is when things like Sure. Like the X Files and oh, Roswell yeah, X-Files, and Twin yeah. Peaks and everything. For some reason, yeah. there was something in the zeitgeist where fear and paranoia and grittiness and darkness are very much part of the '90s culture. Um, so mm-hmm. it's interesting, you know. It's kind of like it does make you wonder, like, what was going on that these writers all sort of subconsciously tap into the same things? Maybe with like, not even really intentionally you know meaning it or without realizing it that they're just sort of drawn to the same sorts of ideas um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i I mean i think there's a case for that if if maybe we're a little lacking on the evidence i mean i don't want to sure say the entire 90s you know because of two stories but these were again these were pretty big you know things that that teenagers and and you know, young adults at the time were reading. So I, I think it's yeah. worth noting. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so let's not taunt the fear demon, but <laughs> let's talk about him. Um, it's just tacky. Yeah. It's just tacky. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's hilarious when you find out what's actually it is. going on here. It is. His, um, his, uh, that's such a great reveal. The, the way it's shot with him roaring into life and seeming to get taller and taller because of the way the camera sort of stays at a low angle while he rises higher and higher. So you're getting this impression of enormous size. Um, and then mm-hmm. it cuts. And he looks up at the camera and he's down right. on the floor. <laughs> so great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's hilarious. And it does it um, immediately gives you, like, this is really one of the most successful metaphors, I think, because it really, you have the exact reaction that you're absolutely meant to in that moment of, this is what we're all afraid of. It's that moment right. of, this is what I was worried about this whole time, where you have mm-hmm. that realization that your own anxieties were completely overblown in contrast yeah. to what you thought they were, you know? Yeah. Well, and even before, you know, he manifests or whatever, like you still get, so, you know, Buffy sort of is the first one to realize that there's, you know, something weird is going on yeah. anyway. And, and, and you get them all together and then Giles bursts in with his chains. Yeah. That's great. Which is a great scene there. Yeah. But, um, right. Kind of like or moment Texas even chainsaw yeah. massacre, you know, like right, right. coming through the doorway. Yeah. Um, but then you get like, like there's still a, maybe even if it's not fear, like, you know, Buffy's kind of decided, all right, I'm going to fight this thing or yeah. we're going to stop it somehow. But there's still like a nervousness or like an anxiety about, you know, it. so like, so then when Giles does read, yeah, you know, like, you know, oh, there's two ways to destroy yeah. it. Destroy you know, the mark. <laughs> destroy the mark, blah, 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 blah. It's not one of the ways <laughs> yeah. like, like, but you get Buffy, you know, overreacting yeah. and, you know, punching through like, she's like I'm going to take care of it. And, and you know, it's because that's, there's still a sort of fear driving yeah. that yeah. anger and that willingness to phase yeah. it. So like, like even, even at that point, like you still, and then, you know, 
like you said, it rises up and you're like, wait, this was what I was so worried about. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, so good stuff. Yeah. But I, you know, I don't know how much more there is to say, okay, it's, it's a fear demon. It's not really that fearful no. or fear inspiring. Um, no, but, but it does seem to have an effect before you see it. Uh, as is often the case with things that you fear, like before you're there, yeah. <laughs> you know, it does right. have this effect on the characters. Anticipation is worse than the thing itself, which is really, sure. his power is all in, in his, it's almost like, why would he ever want to manifest himself? Because he, the anticipation of him is his greatest weapon, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess one more thing is I, I, I did like also that the inscription says actual size. In the that oh, if they yeah. would just read the fine print, they would know. Um, yeah. But um, yeah. I have one other question about. I assume this isn't the case, but we never really find out what happened to all the other people in the house. I don't think they were all brutally murdered, but um, <laughs> right, they right. all seem a little cavalier at the end, munching the candy for that to be the case. But I, you know, and maybe there's no clear answer. Um, but it seemed no. it, it seemed a little jarring to me that right. you know we don't did that kid really fall and break his neck we don't really know how because Oz's transformation was just in his head and Willow's magic was just in her head so maybe what these other people experienced was just in their heads as well but I I think that's how we're meant to interpret that's how I interpret that's how it. I'll I say did it that say, way yeah. So like I yeah I think I think you and I are kind of on the same page with that like that and and here I think there's a few bits of evidence as to why one is that um Oz and Willow find the stairs and there's no dead guy laying at the bottom of them. right you know what I mean and then like we see the guy who supposedly fell down the stairs talking to Buffy with his broken neck right, and stuff. Right. So like, like there's, there's all these stuff and, and we get the very brief, but, but I think important explanation from Giles where it's, you know, it is this manifestation that's sort of altering the reality, the, yeah. but the reality hasn't changed. Um, you know, I've never done this, but it might be interesting to sort of, you know, pause in that scene where they're all in the room because I think there there's other people like in the room there with them. Yeah, sort of I cowering. I think there was at first too, but then I thought I I wasn't sure. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've never gone and like sort of done a frame by frame look, but you might actually see some right. of those people there because like there's another like isn't there a girl who like she's like laying dead with like blood coming out of her mouth right, and stuff. Right. Like I I got the feeling that that was just all well, and, like, and I think. The episode supports that because the things that you think are real go back to their normal state at the end, like right. Oz's transformation or the the um, the bat that turns back into the rubber bat or something. You know, like yeah, it doesn't and the skeleton get really becomes plastic. Yeah, like it goes back to its you know, which which suggests that it's all sort of a trick of the mind rather than right. actual reality. And- and once the demon is dead... It reverts, it... yeah, yeah. Right, right. And, so, and I, that just seems like... I I don't imagine that Joss would allow that to have... Like, to have kind of a mass slaughter that then gets resolved by eating candy. You know, it doesn't really... 
It didn't. Yeah, it didn't I, seem to be what the episode was suggesting. So maybe, yeah. maybe we, maybe we agree on that and don't need to dwell on it too much longer. But <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah, I don't know that it even matters that much. But I, I, I see what you're saying. Like, I, I think, I think I've always just sort of implicit or, uh, yeah, implicitly taken it like the way that you yeah. described it. So yeah. I think, you know. Unless someone says otherwise, I think let's just go with that. All right. We'll do it. <laughs> um, but let's go through, like you wanted to go through, I think, the characters and yeah. talk about sort of their individual fears and kind of the stuff that happens. Yeah, because I think apart from it being sort of a nice overarching metaphor about our fears and how we kind of give them disproportionate amounts of power and stuff, it also is useful because we get a glimpse into what is it that each of these characters is fearful of um, mm -hmm. kind of tells you something about what's going on with them. So, um, you know, and Buffy's is completely, you know, consistent with her and driving straight on from the last episode, you know, that she's uh, suffering post Parker depression. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. and more than that, it's not even really about Parker. It's more about, the stuff no. that she said to Willow at the end of the episode about this being a worrying trend. Um, like, you know, she yeah. kind of, you know, like, yeah, she's down in the dumps because it didn't work out with him, but really it's the stuff that she says to her mom about, um, you know, there's a pattern here. Open your heart to someone and he bails on you. Maybe it's easier to just not let anyone in. And now she's, including her dad in that as well, that, um, yeah. you know, he sort of hasn't really kept up the end of the bargain in terms of being interested in spending time with her post-divorce. Um, and, right. you know, and then, you know, Angel and now Parker too. So, um, well, and, and I would, um, I would just mention too, like as far as is her conversation with Joyce, you you can even think back to the nightmares episode, yeah. where her father comes mm -hmm. to visit and he's like, you know, oh, the divorce was all your fault, which yeah. you know, in a way, kind of has you know nightmares similar. You know, you're talking yeah, about it does, fears. yeah. Um, but it's it's interesting that you know this still continues to be. Uh, you know, a thought for her, but on the other hand, like we haven't seen or heard about her. Fa When's the last time we actually heard about her father? Right. You yeah, know, like maybe that episode. <laughs> no, yeah. Like, it was, I'll tell you when it was, it was when he ditched her on her birthday. <laughs> there you go. So, so, and that's interesting. You know, it's obviously very related to nightmares, but I hadn't really thought about that, but I like that because nightmares, I feel like this is a more mature version of that. Like, you know, Nightmares right. was very much about visceral, what are you scared of in the moment? You know, it was like clowns and, you know, like, what would you find scary and nightmarish? Whereas this is more yeah. about ongoing anxieties. You know, it's, well, it's less about like, oh, a clown is a scary thing and more about yeah, yeah. this is the thing that I feel insecure and anxious about on an ongoing chronic basis you know so it is a little it's a similar concept but you can see how they're yeah. a little bit older um well and and you know. one, 
one is like so you have nightmares which is like more the subconscious and you have i think you're right with 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 this one with fear itself you have more of the conscious the ongoing it's the stuff you are actually thinking about yeah you know that you're afraid of it's not just what do you, you know, have oh, bad dreams what happened about? when i right. was yeah what what right. happened when i was six that if i remember it it's kind of gives me the creeps still but doesn't you know really affect my daily life yeah. uh kind of stuff so i i think i think you're right i think that's a good good point um so yeah so buffy you know being she has abandonment issues and not wholly unfounded sure <laughs> you know like yeah you know you have her father you have angel you have parker yeah uh who have all sort of contributed to this and it's interesting because she's still like, you know, we saw with her, you know, thing with Parker, we saw the, the sort of end, you know, thing, her asking, you know, what's what's wrong with me? Why didn't he want to be with me? You know, and, and you're missing the part where he's a poop head, you know, like yeah. this is, you know, you know, that's Willow's response. Yeah. But, uh, you know, again, you get you get this idea that even with her father, like like. It's not just that she thinks she did something wrong with Parker, but there's also that feeling that she had with Angel. And there's also that feeling that she had with her father, yeah. you know. So it's 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 not just that people leave me, but it's that for some reason I'm worthy of being left. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or or not worthy of people sticking around. However, like right. whatever that's way you want to sort Spike, of look at that's it. That's kind of how Spike put it, wasn't it? It was like, you're right. not worth a second go. Like... You know, people give you a try and then they discard you for something else, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I think and you could feel like that because while she might sort of intellectually understand that none of those incidents were her fault per se, put them all together and they do look like a pattern, you know? Like if you're yeah. Buffy, you're sitting there going, okay, what's the common denominator here, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, definitely not unfounded in the sense of you can understand where that anxiety comes from. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. So, you know, but then there's the interesting part where they're in the, in the, uh, you know, in, in the frat house. And so they're all there together, but she's the one doing the pushing away, right? Yeah. She's the one saying, you guys leave, you go find a way out. Yeah. I'm the only one who understands what's going on here. So there's there's also that aspect of it as well. It's like, well, there is a sense yeah. in which she does do that at times. Like, yeah. And I'm not saying that, you know, the, the men in her life leaving her is her fault, because in those cases, none of them are really her fault. But... But there is also a sense where she kind of turns that around and then yeah. it affects her friendships. Well, that's, you know, the and it affects... that's the defense mechanism, isn't it? To push away before, yeah. to reject before you are rejected, I guess. Right. Um, and it's sort of, I think, taking control of what she feels she can take control right. of, which is to fight and face the bad guys. Right. You know, if that's what I can do, then that's what I'm going to do because I don't have control over whether people stick around or not. <laughs> right. So, um, that seems to be. Anyway. Yeah. Although it's interesting that as much as this is about Buffy's sort of abandon, abandonment and fear of aloneness and everything, I, I kind of thought it was interesting that 
all of the characters really end up alone, you know, that they all get separated Mm -hmm. and are are on their own. So implicitly they're all afraid of that really. Yeah. But they all, all the others get extras of something, you know, whereas Buffy doesn't really get anything else. Like, I mean, like if you think about it, like they're all on their own, but Oz also has, you know, his werewolf stuff, Willow's got her magic stuff, you know, Xander's got his invisibility stuff. We can talk about those in more detail. Buffy's single fear, and I'm not saying that, like, Buffy's not afraid of anything else, but there's also a kind of sense in which she's a little bit more protected in that way because, well, she's alone, but everybody feels alone. Everybody's afraid of that. That's not, Mm -hmm. you know, that's something that's common to them all. Um... So, I don't know how much to take from that. It just kind of, it's conspicuous to me that she's the only one who, that seems to be the only fear that they get sort of haunted by. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Um, and I'm not yeah, sure and what I, to and do I, with that. I think but. there's, I, I think there's, a certain sense in which it is just the case that your fears are your own. So they are going to be, you are going to sort of have that existential aspect, right? Like they're your fears. So, you know, they're not going to affect other people. No, And that's that's kind of the, that's not, that's not quite what I mean though. Like, I guess I'm thinking it, it, you know what it reminds me of is that moment at the end of, Becoming when, you know, you know, Angel sort of taunting her by saying, you know, you're all by yourself, no friends, no hope, all that kind of stuff. And then finally, you know, what does that leave? And she says, me. And there's that kind of, in, in a weird sort of way, embracing of her own aloneness and that that sort of, in a strange kind of way, empowers her in that moment, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And it's just... You know, because because they're all separated, they're all kind of experiencing that fear of aloneness and isolation and stuff. But you also have Willow's anxiety is about her control of magic, you know, and Oz's fears about his loss of control with his, you know, transformation and everything. Whereas Buffy doesn't seem to have anything extra. It seems like all of her fear is concentrated on that isolation and aloneness like we don't also get something else that she's anxious about in addition to that yeah i guess the only thing i could say there and i'm not i think you're right i guess the only thing i would add is that there is she does sort of have her slayer power Mm -hmm. which you know i think we've talked about before is sort of something that makes her different and so therefore sort of separates her from other people and that's, that's, I guess, what I'm saying is that I think there's a distinction between Buffy's experience in the house and the others. You know? Like, she seems slightly separated from them. Like, in her own... The way the house manifests her fears and affects her is slightly different from the rest of the gang, I guess. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe we need to talk through the rest of them to see that. Okay. Because <laughs> well, I guess maybe I'm not totally understanding where you're coming from there. But, sure. 
Um, um, I think the other thing that I want... Oh, di- sorry. Well, we did want to... Before we go on to the others, I know you wanted to make sure we talked about um, Buffy's conversation with uh, Professor Walsh and Riley. Yeah. Well, right. And so we've got... Um, basically, apparently what happens... And it, it, it's actually a little fuzzy. I, I wish they kind of were a little clearer about what happens. But she goes to the cafeteria right with willow and then kind of sees riley or sorry sees parker Mm -hmm. (laughs) and runs off and then like there's like some other stuff that happens and then like we come back and there's buffy coming to class late so the presumption is she i don't know went to her room or went off somewhere by herself and was Mm -hmm. upset or whatever and and kind of gives this you know excuse of you know i was not able to yeah attend today because you know whatever and so you get professor walsh now and i don't just to sort of remind folks Hmm. professor walsh teaches psychology so right right, this is this is an episode about psychology and sort of the the stuff that happens there but um yeah there's a so you get the sort of what you would expect from a professor right the uncaring like i don't I, you know, I count four limbs, a head, no visible scarring. I assume this wasn't a life-threatening, you know, personal issue. So I'm uninterested. Solve your problems on your own time. And so I guess, you know, on the one hand, like, in a way that's kind of, I guess, Buffy was off solving her own problems, but was also like letting that, that fear, that anxiety, that whatever sort of affect her, her academic stuff too so like i just want to make sure we get that but then there's like the conversation with riley right where there's the encouragement and and Mm. but also sort of the chastisement but i i like that he's like (laughs) i like that it it's kind of funny because he's like saying oh you know you need to sort of buckle down and you know she's worth her time but then he's sort of appalled that like she's not going to go party on halloween right (laughs) while he's sitting there uh, you know, grading papers. And I guess, um, I guess just sort of the thing that I would, I would pick out, you know, from, from that whole interaction and, and maybe you can, you know, tell me if, if you saw anything else, but it's just, you know, again, that idea of like, well, once again, you have Buffy sort of running out to be by herself. Right. And then you have her coming back and people telling her like, you sort of were neglecting what you were supposed to be doing. It wasn't Slayer related. It was school related, but it was, you know, again, it's this, I guess maybe indulging of your fear or of your, not even fear. Cause in this case she runs out to be alone. So it's, again, it's that, like you mentioned the defense mechanism, but it's, it's, it's something that affects her, you know, performance in school. So it's, you know, again, like there's, there's that, there's that aspect of, you know, she's still sort of letting the fear of abandonment keep her isolated, manage yeah, yeah. what, what yeah. she's doing yeah. by. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, yeah I and sort again, of stumbled think, through all of that, but, and I think too, the emphasis on the fun, like, you know, that this mm. is an episode that concludes that fears are to be laughed at, you know, and, and dismissed, you know? And so I think kind of, 
appropriate and you know you even get giles embracing the spirit of halloween as a fun you know fear (laughs) halloween's not about real demons halloween is about goofy costumes and candy you know that there's kind of a embrace of the positive i guess in this episode you know that it's if you're you know because i like that riley kind of says like too much fun or not enough that both are legitimately um unhealthy in extreme doses you know right um right you know too much fun could be like oh yeah you're out partying and neglecting you know but a not enough of having fun can be a problem too you know it's yes you do have to take school seriously but you also have to cut yourself a break you know and riley kind of picks up on the fact that buffy's a little high strung you know so you know for her it's more about don't give your fear the opportunity like i mean you kind of said she is indulging it because she goes off on her own and sort of nurses it and broods it you know and and it grows as a result whereas he's kind of advising her don't let that happen cut it off at the knees you know um have and she even have fun and and expel the fear i guess yeah um she even acknowledges she's she says both actually so it's not even like like she's swinging from one extreme to the other. Like she's not even sort of stopping in the middle where you should be. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I don't want to necessarily make too much out of that conversation, but I think it's important to sort of remember that, like, like, cause I think each of them actually gets sort of a moment before. And, and, and there's also the moment with Joyce, but I think there's that's home this is school. Like there's sort of multiple levels on which Buffy, especially, you know, is kind of allowing her fears to take control of her life. Yeah. So, um, anyway, yes. Um, moving on perhaps to, uh, who did you want to talk about next? Well, let's start with, uh, Willow and Oz, but I guess primarily Willow to start with. Um, so, I mean, you get, I don't know that Willow is at this point letting her fears rule her life quite to the extent that Buffy is, but you still get the hints of what it is that she's anxious about. Um, You know, she's kind of worrying about, you know, ascending to the next level of magic. Um, So she's, well, she's kind of afraid of two different things. And the problem is that they're, they're opposite things. So it's sort of like, no matter what happens, she's afraid because on the one hand, she says she's afraid that she's plateaued Wicca-wise. So she's af- mm-hmm. afraid that she's reached her limit. What if this is what if this is all I'm capable of and I can't, you know, perform to the level that I expect of myself, I guess. Um, but on the other hand, she also talks about these more advanced types of magic get you pretty close to the primal forces. And she admits that that's scary. Um, and she kind of voices that she knows that it's kind of dangerous um Mm -hmm. so you know you have the tension between these two things that on the one hand if she stagnates then that's not you know living up to her own high standard of academic excellence that she like sort of expects Right, right but on the other hand there's this sense that i'm starting to get into some deep water here and what if i 
you know, as much as she kind of protests later that she can handle it and she knows her limits and everything, I don't believe that. She's worried that, you know, I think the whole incident in the house, you know, where she does conjure this light and then it completely multiplies and gets out of control and chases her around, you know, mm -hmm. that's definitely a manifestation of, you know, the fear that what if she taps into these primal forces and can't control them? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, she's kind of in a catch-22 where either way, she's not right. really happy, you know? So, um, yeah. so that's kind of interesting to see where that goes. Yeah, no, it's, I, I think you're right. It, it's totally, she's, you know, she's trying to get, well, and it's funny because I think, you know, in the beginning, so when they're in the cafeteria, right, and she's trying to get Buffy to encourage her, and Buffy's like, oh, this is an encouragement yeah, talk. Yeah. Like, I thought this would like, share my pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you want, do right, you want exactly. sympathy so, or do you want encouragement? <laughs> even, in, even in those, you know, both, uh, yeah both instances right you're you're kind of getting the focus on your own fears because i feel like it well it seems to me that that willow in that instance is she is looking for the encouragement which sort of implies just by that fact that there is at least some underlying fear and like even even when you know oz comes in right and and she's like well where's mr supportive boyfriend yeah. guy like it's not she's she's still look, she's looking for that encouragement because she's not really completely trusting of her own abilities no. right there is there there does sort of seem to be an underlying thing there because you know yeah she's looking for Oz that says, little boost yeah i yeah. says he'll support her but he he's like i'm not going to lie you know i do worry about what you're taking on here so you know the fact that Willow isn't just like, well, you know, I'm going to do it and, and I really have confidence in myself and whatever. Like she's she's looking for the confidence in other people. Yeah. So it does seem to be that later when, like you said, and and there's. It's funny, too, because it's actually the so she conjures the light and then she's like, you know, you know, I want you to go find this. And then she's like, well, no, maybe I should go do this. So it's even that maybe not fear, but indecision about what she's supposed to be doing that yeah. really leads. So like each one, each time she's like, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. The light is splitting. And yeah. that's really what comes out. It's like, she's, so she's splitting her focus. She's not, right. you know, capable really of, of managing, you know, the thing that she conjured. And, and so like, that seems to be sort of the basis of her fear mm -hmm. is that she, you know, I don't know, maybe she knows that about herself, that she's, you know, that she's indecisive and not as strong, or maybe that's, you know, just something that practice takes care of, that kind of thing. But, like, it, it definitely seems like there's sort of a tie there between the indecision and the fear, because right. because she's plateaued. But has she plateaued because she's incapable of learning more, or has she plateaued because she doesn't really want to take the next step right. yet? Right, You know, she's afraid to. Right. So. Yeah. 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 No, well, and, and she, yeah, she doesn't seem to quite know yet what is the difference between 
what she actually wants to do versus what she feels like she should be doing, you know, and what's, what is reasonable and rational caution versus what's fear, you know? And I think she kind of mm. can't quite tell the difference at this point, you know, d plateauing is fine if you're not ready for the next step, you know, but, but is it plateauing because you're not ready for something or is it plateauing because you're afraid and it's something you need to just take the leap and push through, you know, and when you're in the midst of it, who can tell the difference between the two? Um, yeah. 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 Um, you also get, and this is, I guess, what I was saying before, that's not the only fear that we get from Willow, because you also get her separated from the group like everybody else and on her own, and especially when Oz runs away from her, you kind of get her call to him, don't leave me. You know, you get this sort of echoing, you know, mm. as he runs away, that call sort of echoes through the house. So, you know, and her first, you know, she, part of her indecision is, um, kind of checking herself and saying, I should be looking for these other, you know, people to help them. But her first gut instinct is to go look for Oz. Um, even though she knows yeah. he's, or she thinks he's transforming at that point, she has to know that he's dangerous and he doesn't really want her around at that point, but she feels like compelled to go and look for him, at least mm -hmm. at first. Um, so you kind of get a little... I think the magic anxiety is forefront, but I think you get some hints at some other areas that are, you know, and tied into the lack of confidence with her magic is Buffy's lack of confidence in her, you know, so you get Buffy, you kind of get them fighting it, you know, bickering and Oz kind of saying, you're not really thinking clearly, but, you know, you, you have to think that Buffy's voicing Willow's fears when she says, like, your magic's really only 50%, and I don't really think you can handle getting us out of here and everything. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. kind of tied to the lack of confidence is this, you know, anxiety about her worth in the eyes of Buffy or her friends, you know, um, so. Right. Yeah. I think that's all right. I guess more generally about Willow and Oz... I like their costumes. Oh, <laughs> Joan of Arc and God. Yeah. Blasphemer. Yeah. <laughs> she had that. Well, it was kind of cute enough when it was, oh, she was almost, I was almost burned at the stake and she had that close relationship with God. And I just kind of like, that's a strange thing for Willow to say, but you know, that's kooky Willow. She's making a joke and then you get the joke, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, and there's a subtle moment later where Buffy says thank you yeah, Lord yeah. and God goes you're, you're, you're uh, God goes Oz yeah. goes you're welcome yeah, yeah when well, he turns <laughs> off the music yeah yeah, yeah. I yeah. caught that on like very I didn't catch that the first time but I did catch that the second yeah yeah again it's just a very very little subtle thing yeah um, yeah because it's it's but... not really it's totally throwaway it's like they're all they're all a little too stressed out to really joke about it but not not totally <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, and that's just sort of Oz too. Is like deadpan, you know, calm, yeah. calm, calm guy, deadpan, and this. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, so Oz is 
freaked out about wolfing out. He is, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, and, and again, you get... It's kind of nice how you do get all the characters talking about their fears before we actually see them. So you kind of get him in trying to comfort and encourage Willow, kind of admitting that he scares himself. You know, that whenever he... Mm -hmm transforms he's aware of the fact that he's not in control and that that's a mm -hmm. scary thing um so yeah so obviously you know and the real fear there is you know the moment that he scratches willow the the thought that not just oh i'm transforming and i don't want to do that but i will hurt her in the process um yeah yeah absolutely um, um and it, it is kind of uh unnerving to see oz that afraid that's not something we see he's not very emotive you know you don't yeah. get a lot of you know uh demonstration of his anything <laughs> his yeah. feelings no, of know. any sort really um so that moment where he's sort of in the bathtub sort of just repeating to himself that mantra you know is mm -hmm. is kind of it's unsettling change. yeah 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 um, and you also get a moment of, I guess, I guess this is, a another sort of Willow fear too, is, is he, you know, he's saying I have to get away and, and you hear Willow, you know, Oz, don't leave me. Like that's, you know, again, there's sort of that, yeah. uh, you know, her, that's her expression of, yeah. I don't want to be alone, yes, yeah. um, to face my own fears yep. too, but, but Oz can't stay nearby or at least thinks he can't. Right. Um, you know, and is, and is afraid, afraid, yeah, that he'll hurt her primarily. Yeah. So it's, it's that one, two punch, I guess, of, you know, him not wanting to hurt her, but in order to do that, he has to leave her, which hurts her, right. you know, and, and that kind right. of Right. And then they're all alone, you know, which just and amplifies everybody's right. fears of, you they're know. All, they're all alone together. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. Joss, the big existentialist. Um, um, I, I keep thinking of that. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the quote yeah. I was thinking of. Uh, so, from, from Firefly. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Oz is, seems pretty normal and rational, I, you know, as far as that goes. I don't know that there's a lot to say about that. We've kind of talked about the transformation, yeah. you know, from man into werewolf and which another main another prisoner of Azkaban connection there because in all the Dementor Boggart stuff, um, you get Professor Lupin who's teaching sure. how to, he's teaching the Defense Against the Dark Arts class. He's showing them how to repel this stuff, and you eventually sort of find out that his he's a werewolf and that his Boggart is the moon, which is what triggers his transformation. So the same thing, right, his right. fear of the loss right. of control and of, you know, hurting other people when he doesn't want to and everything. So again, sure. more zeitgeisty stuff there. Yeah. Although, yeah, I, I mean, Oz obviously has been a werewolf for a little while, so it yeah, yeah, no, whatever. they're not, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's all in the same, same idea yeah. there. Um, and yeah, <laughs> Professor Lupin as the <laughs> werewolf. That's just, um, of course. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know how much more we need to say about Oz per se. Um, 
then you get Xander, who yeah, just sort of again, you know, makes sense. We we've talked about how he's kind of he doesn't have any special powers. He doesn't have any special strength or abilities. And yeah, again, we see that here, and and once more, you get the foreshadowing of everyone's leaving me on Halloween to go yeah. do something, you know, as college kids, yeah, yeah. whereas I'm not the college kid. And, and, and even when like he goes and he's quote helping Oz by not helping or doing anything really, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, you get the frat guys who are like, Oh, should we even let you come here? Cause you don't, right. you're, you're a townie. You're not one well, of you us. Get that moment where, they, they say he should pledge, and Oz says, oh, Xander's a civilian, and Xander gives him the dirtiest look. Like, mm. you jerk, you just outed yeah. me, you know? Why didn't you just go yeah, with it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and yeah. again, you get um, Anya voicing his own fear right oh, back yeah. at him of, uh, <laughs> you know, why do you hang out with those people? You really don't have anything in common. You know, they're doing this stuff and you're by yourself and nothing that you do is anything like what yeah. they do. And well, it really, and... you should just not hang out with them anymore. And Xander doesn't really have an answer for that. You know, he kind of says, you know, something about the bonds of friendship and then is like, can we just change the subject? Yeah, please? let's just like, talk about it. Clearly he's had this argument in his own mind and, hasn't come up with a good response yet. <laughs> well, and I think it's worth noting too, like the, the things that she points out are clearly like, it's not just that they're different, right? It's like pizza might be my favorite food and your favorite food might be, I don't know, a salad of some kind, yeah. but uh, you know, that's fine. Like yeah. we just like different foods. What she's saying, all of the stuff is like hurtful that Xander yeah just is not as good as that. Right. Basically. Right. It's, like, it's stuff. It's, of, it, yeah. Know, it's not like, Oh, you're going in different go directions. College. It's like, right. You aren't as accomplished as they are, you know, yeah, they've yeah. ascended to a different level and you're still living at home. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. They're in college. You're not, Yeah. they don't live at home. You yeah. do <laughs> like, yeah, just yeah. this very like not good stuff. Um, yeah. And once again, sort of the tactless way mm -hmm. in which Anya, approaches those sorts of things like yeah doesn't seem to really understand that these are hurtful yeah. things that she's saying um and uh so yeah. yeah uh clearly you know we see xander sort of dealing with all of that and uh yeah i love i love that where he's sort of at the end he He's all bitter. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'd tell you if I thought anyone was going to listen. Yeah, and, he sort of devolves into just like, snark. Yeah, what is wrong with you? Like, why are you acting that way? And, he's, and then he gets all surprised. Oh, you can you can hear me? What? What's going on? Um, but no, I mean, we've been talking since episode one or two about how, you know, even if Xander doesn't provide much help, the help he provides is necessary and crucial. Sure, so, yeah. Uh, and, and even just like, I think that's sort of emphasized even in this episode because several times, especially with Buffy, he brings up something that they can't hear that no one else can hear, yeah. uh, him say, but, but he brings it up before anyone else does. Right. So, so there is that, you know, oh, you know, I hear a hissing and then Buffy's like, 
oh, there's a shh sound, you know, like, yeah. he's like, that's what I just that's said. What I like, by so, yeah. so really, I mean, and it, and obviously that's meant to sort of be funny, but I think the juxtaposition of that is also to show that from a character perspective, he's actually pretty insightful. Yeah. Like he, and, and it is from the body perspective. Yeah. It is things like he hears things maybe a split second before others do, or he notices things that are not quite right from a, just sort of a visceral yeah. perspective. Yeah. It's, it's not, he's not in, intelligent in in that he's like sitting down and thinking about it and blah 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 but he is he does have that you know if you want to go the route of like book smart versus street smart like he does have that sort of instinctual yeah uh you know idea about him that that even the slayer is maybe not quite as quick as he is so you know there is value to what he provides to the group and it's only through that uh that sort of juxtaposition of being able to see that he thinks of it first and then the others do come to it you know independently like it's not like they don't notice or they don't whatever but you know when you're fighting demons and bad guys or whatever like a split second difference could be that yeah thing that you need to give you the extra edge so i think that's important to note like even as funny as it is like there is i think some interesting character insight there yeah definitely Oh, yeah, and and maybe so. just having that extra person, if if Xander's there to to notice things like that, then Buffy can concentrate on what she does, mm-hmm. you know, and which is the slaying. You know, it's just an extra. It, she, yeah. He is the pair of eyes and ears that supports Buffy. You know, who's mm-hmm. you know, it's just one. It's an it's another person contributing so that she doesn't yeah. have to do everything herself. You know, right, and. And there is that dramatic irony of Buffy saying, oh, we're, you know, where did Xander go now? Typical, right? Yeah. But when you think about it, actually, that's not typical at all. Yeah. Xander is usually running towards Buffy. Like, right. he doesn't abandon right. Buffy ever. Right, he's very when, minded yeah, yeah. And, and, and in fact, it's to his own detriment that he never abandons Buffy. Right. <laughs> very, right. You know, very frequently, like with Spike last week or two weeks yeah, ago, yeah. whenever it was. Like, you know, it, it, he ran out and got knocked out by Spike. Like, it's not... So that that actually kind of irritates me when she says that. Whenever I say that, I'm like, no, not typical. He does, Okay, maybe he gets distracted by food I sometimes. Took it more, but, I took it more as not that typical to leave, the, to leave her or to leave the group, but that he's in trouble and I've got to go rescue him. That was... But even... But, I mean, even yeah, that is, is debatable. Even that's not really... Um, yeah. All I mean, yes, she's had to save him because he's gotten in trouble before. Right. I'm not saying yeah. that, but like, but again, it's usually because he's trying to help her in some yeah. way, or, or you know, trying to rush in. And yes, he's not a good fighter, and yes, he's not as strong as she is, right. and all that. But, but, but it's not like he doesn't abandon her. He does, yeah. you know, which, which I have always sort of taken her to be saying mm-hmm. that. But maybe you're right. Maybe it's maybe I'm interpreting it. Well, wrong. and I, I think. I don't know. All of this is taken in the light of, of a situation in which it's high stress and their fears are being manifest and everything. And and Oz kind of says, like, you guys aren't really thinking clearly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, how how much Buffy actually believes that, you know, is up for debate anyway. Um, sure. You know, sure. that in the heat of the moment, you know, 
might be different than what she thinks the next day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, Xander has proven himself more highly than that comment would suggest, I think. Um, and definitely more useful than, than that makes him come across. Yeah. We mentioned uh, the other costume, so so we have to mention Xander's, yes. you know, secret yeah, agent guy. Yeah, um, And I love that Buffy sort of calls him out on it. Yeah, you're more likely to be head waiter. Head waiter like, guy. And then you're just wearing it. And then he's you're wearing a tux. And he's immediately disappointed that he didn't think of the god costume. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Well, he, of course, because that would have been cheaper and. Yeah. Well, and whatever easier. he thinks of is not going to be as cool as what somebody else thinks of, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, Oz is always going to be cooler. Yeah. Like, yeah, it throws you right back to that. You know, well, you're cool. Um, yeah. Oh, am I? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. what makes you cool? What is the essence of cool? Xander's yeah. trying to dress up like James Bond and just right. Yeah, comes off trying looking like way a waiter. Too hard, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, speaking of costumes, uh, we get Anya's. Uh, yes. This is her scary <laughs> costume, and very, yeah. very seriously, she says, "Bunnies frighten me." And that's it. Like, yeah. there's no more discussion. Just we're just gonna leave it at that. No idea why. Um, I, I, nope. whether we ever hear it or not, I presume there's some sort of traumatic I, history. Um, I'm not sure whether I, any, I will. I will, I will I, put you out of your misery. Okay. We will at some point. I won't tell you when or in what context. We'll find out. We will get an explanation of Anya's this taste for my only worry is that no story is going to live up to the idea of that but i look forward to hearing it anyway yeah no it's yeah um anya is a funny she is i like the way i I I like the way the costume makes her walk um those big big bunny feet they make her sort of shuffle around you know yeah and I like that she even gives a little hop, yeah, like off Going the off porch the step, steps yeah, yeah. there, yeah. Um, but yeah, no. The, so yeah, I mean, we've already seen how blunt and straightforward, and we talked about sort of her uh, explanation or her. I almost say criticism, but not criticism. Just her, no, because I don't think she's self-aware it's... enough to be malicious. <laughs> I think she she's. <laughs> Yeah. She's tactless, but she's not saying it to hurt. She's saying what she thinks is honest, you know? Yeah. Um, and the way she's... And I love... Like, she's like... She's like... Uh, she does not like the idea of Halloween. Like, she's like, I, I don't get it. Xander tries it. Well, you know, every year we dress yeah, up. Yeah. And just, no, no, I get that inane ritual. Yeah. Like, like, that's just stupid. <laughs> but um, she does it. She seems... To really still be liking Xander more and more. Yeah. Uh, and he, uh, you he know, reciprocating, you know, he's not like, he's, wow, this, yeah, he's, he's not saying, you know, this, this girl's kind of weird. He's saying, uh, it's kind of nice to see you. And he seems glad that she wants to see him again and that she didn't, you know, totally write him off after one yeah. encounter. So, there um, are definitely, yeah. uh, definitely date like qualities. Definitely date like qualities. And at this um, at this rate, they're going to have an anniversary like every week. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think so. This is still sort of a sense of Anya trying to figure out what it means to be human, right? right? Like it's it's this idea that she knows that there are things that people do, yeah. like dating, but she doesn't have any idea like what it means or like how to go about doing it. Yeah. But 
on the same token, like Xander doesn't really either. I mean, even though he dated Cordy, like even like you get the, the explanation before where he's like, I don't know. It just happens. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't just force right. it. Although Anya's kind of forcing it, right. you know what I mean? Like there is a sense in which you do have to kind of force it. Like you have to acknowledge that you like someone and you have to make an effort to see them right. and to, to let them know that you want to spend time with them and, and that it's, you know, so there is, there is a sense in which you do kind of force it, but there is a sense in which it does just sort of develop as well. So there's, they're, they're kind of like both right yeah. in that way. Um, and, and, surprising i think at this point like her concern for him yeah, and yeah. his safety yeah we, uh, well they're trapped too but we have to save xander like you know if yeah. the whole house was being eaten alive that's not important but you know my potential boyfriend is in there so we gotta take care of that you right know? not even sure what this is but it it might be something that is worth having yeah. so let's save him and, yeah yeah, yeah, whatever, the other... Like, she clearly doesn't care about any of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, I mean, we got even, you know, before, like, you know, in in the last season, you know, when she's running out of town, she wants Xander to come right. and abandon all of the friends, and she's like, why do you even care about those people? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, yeah. But, but again, I think it's her just sort of trying to figure out what that humanity is. Yeah. Not maybe unlike the doctor sure. in a way. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, so, uh, although I didn't quite mean to segue yet cause we still have Giles. We do still have Giles. Talked a little bit about him. Yeah, uh, no, I, he's great with his, his embracing of the spirit of Halloween. And I just like that you just get the sense that nobody's coming to his door, that he's so excited. He has this costume and all these decorations. He's got a ton of candy yeah. and then no kids come every time he opens the door. It's one of the Scoobies. And then when you see him, he's just sitting on the couch, eating the candy. Like yeah. he's got, there's like a bunch he's of rappers so, just like on his like, belly. He's gone to such lengths and then like, it's totally quiet. Nothing's actually happening. Um, yeah. Very funny. And we talked, too, yeah. about the chainsaw. That was great. That you think it's, you know, he has to create a door, and you're sure it's going to be some sort of magical ritual, and no, he's just going to chainsaw through it. Yeah. that That's got to be one of, like, the best Giles things, yeah, is, yeah. is seeing him stand up and just, you know, just, yanking the cord yeah, of the chainsaw. Yeah, cutting through all the BS, you know. There's yeah. a quick way to go about this. Yeah. Can, can we open a door? <laughs> I can. Yep. Create a door. You can do that. I can. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. No, Giles is hilarious in this episode. Just overall. Yeah. The sombrero. Yeah. It seemed festive. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And just, I mean, whimsical Giles is always a good time. So I do enjoy whimsical Giles. I have to say. Anyway. So I know you, you texted me. You said you thought this was a good fun uh, episode overall, Definitely. which I think I think people tend to agree with that. Yeah. Like this seems to be one of those, um, yeah, that that people sort of like. So yeah, definitely, uh, definitely good. I one. can see why. Um, all right. Okay. Anything else before we go on to talk about Churchill at no, all? I'm ready for Churchill. All right. 
Well, let's talk about Churchill then. Okay. Churchill. Yeah. Win- Winston yeah. is his name. Uh, Spencer is his middle name, apparently. Uh, yeah. So the, uh, the, the, the Churchill. Um, one of the questions that I asked you before we kind of started, and, and I think you did a little bit of research just sort of looking up. <laughs> In the two minutes info. before we started recording. <laughs> As I was saying, let's start recording. You were like quickly going to Wikipedia. I was like, wait whatever. a minute. I better have no. an answer for the um, question you're going to ask me was around uh, the conversation that Churchill and the doctor have where they seem to be old friends. Sure. I mean, we got the we got the phone call into the TARDIS in the last episode. Yeah. So, you know, and, and obviously there seemed to be a rapport there already. Like, we, we knew that Winston Churchill had... Actually, I should even step back even further. I... Actually, didn't even realize that this next episode was going to feature Winston Churchill because um, I just sort of thought that that was a funny thing that they did at the end of the episode. And then, like, you mentioned, like, oh, well, you already know what's going to happen next episode. Like, it's with Churchill. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, I actually didn't even realize that that was what that meant. Like, that's funny. Not that I wouldn't have found out five minutes later because I went and watched it. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't much of a spoiler, uh, but no, no, it wasn't really a spoiler at all, but. It's just kind of funny because um, they do that sometimes where you have like a little tagline yeah. at the end, but it may not mean that's what's coming. Definitely. Up definitely. Episode. Yeah. And maybe I just assumed, I think the other thing is that um, the title of the episode tells you that there are Daleks in it and you see the shadow of the Dalek behind Churchill. So I think I just kind of sure. made that connection without really thinking about the fact that if you didn't know what the next episode was called, um, then it might right, and I didn't. Then at it the time. might not I... seem as obvious as it does once you know it's called Victory of the Daleks and you see the Dalek shadow. Then I think it makes it yeah, pretty clear. Probably. Yeah. Um. But anyway, that's all. That's neither here nor there. Kind of the point behind my wanting to make sure we made that connection is how long has have the doctor and Amy been awake at this point? Like, cause like <laughs> yeah. we, we've, we've gone from one to the next to the yeah. next, uh, adventure here. Yeah. And so they've got to be like getting to the point where they're just like going to crash. Right. Uh, you know, certainly the doctor, at least Amy was asleep before, uh, the, the beast. Below. Oh, that's true. Because for Amy, there were like years right. that sort of that passed two in, years between. in between. Yeah. But the doctor's uh, going on adrenaline, I think. Well, and, I don't, I couldn't tell you the amount of hours that it's been, but we had, you know, kind of the hints of the 15 hour rule and stuff. And you kind of do get the sense that he is going on adrenaline a little bit, that he's sort of rocketing from one thing to the next in these first couple of episodes and still sort of maybe in a kind of weird meta way that as the writers and Matt Smith are figuring out who the 11th Doctor is, the 11th Doctor is kind of figuring out who he is, too. And maybe this is within that rule of in the first, you know, however much time, it is about him learning himself um, and sort of trying to figure things out. So I think I'm right in saying the next episode doesn't continue directly on. It starts with them in a different place. Like, you know, presumably there could be uh, yeah, hours, if not days, you know, in between, you know, potentially filled with adventures we don't see, or maybe this is the next day or whatever. But anyway, I think 
after this point, there is more of a break in the sequence. Um, before I forget, too, I just want to point out that Moffat so far is preserving the Davies formula of the new season with the present alien invasion, future kind of political story, and then past historical adventure featuring a, a famous icon of history. So just worth noting that he's yeah. followed that. That's template. interesting. I didn't, I didn't pick up on that, but yeah, absolutely right. Well, there you so, go. Huh. Cool. None of that has anything to do with Churchill. No. But we you had another question about, about Churchill, now. didn't you? The Churchill question that I had <laughs> was actually uh, around. So you you get this back and forth where they clearly seem to know each other. Yes. Uh, that they've met before, that they know who each other are, and that they're friends. Yeah. Or at least allies. Uh, no, they seem to be friendly too. Yeah. Like it's not just we're on the same side, but it's it's that there seems to be a rapport there. Yeah. And um, and uh, so my question was, is that sort of backed by other Doctor Who stories, or is that just sort of something that they made up here? Yeah. Um, you know, for this story. So I, I will admit to doing this research literally like two minutes before we started recording. So correct me, listeners, in the comments on our website if anybody knows better than me, but um, I don't think there were any classic episodes that featured Churchill, but it looks like he featured in some novels um, which predate this episode. So like the spinoff, um, you know, either... it. I, I think I saw one with you know, the sixth doctor and the eighth doctor and the 10th doctor. So like either ones that went back and kind of inserted missing adventures into the classic doctors or, you know, the eighth doctor was the one who was current during the time that the show was off the air. So instead of having TV episodes, he had a whole novel line to himself. Um, mm. So, you know, in any case, it looks like, in other media, the doctor has met him a few times. So I would suspect that that's the reason that they, rather than having the doctor meet Churchill here, they're kind of, while not directly referencing those stories, they're sort of implying that, um, they're alluding to the fact that he's met Churchill before and that they do have a little bit of a history. So, um, yeah. I couldn't, in I, I didn't do enough reading far enough ahead to answer your other question about um, whether this rivalry over the TARDIS key is um, picked up from any of those other stories. Um, yeah. I simply just yeah, don't have an answer to that. But <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's a pretty minor point, so just was curious. Yeah. Um, but it is kind of funny that, yeah, you know, I mean, it. you do get this idea of, which is really kind of what the whole episode is about, you know, of, of being willing to do anything to win the war, right. um, which is interesting based on all of the 10th doctor stuff, right. like, you know, that that's things that he has to sort of face time and again yeah. is how far are you willing to go? And you get this sense that Churchill, you know, even says, I, I, what is it he said? I, something about, you know, I, I, uh, 
if Hitler invaded hell, mm-hmm. I would give a favorable reference to the devil, you know. So, like, there is a sense that, in a way, he's kind of willing to sell his soul if it means beating Hitler and, and staving off the Nazis. Right. And, uh, I, and I, you know, I don't think that's what he does with the Daleks because he doesn't seem to be... He doesn't really know what the Daleks right. are, at least believe them. So, but once, once the Doctor sort of proves that the Daleks are as bad as he's been saying, Churchill goes along with the Doctor. Like, you know what I mean? So, like, I think you can attribute that whole sort of giving a favorable reference to the devil as a bit of hyperbole, you know, yeah, yeah. In, in a sense. I mean, I, you know, I think you're still dealing with a, a yeah, I mean, ultimately moral man, but who is willing to sort of cut, not cut corners, but yeah, like do more than maybe your average person even would be willing to do, uh, to, to sort of stop, well, to stop a, a bad person and the army that backs him. So, right. Yeah. And I, I think um, there's a sense too of this episode has potentially interesting ideas and it doesn't fully explore them because you do get this sense. Yeah. You get so much, Churchill says several times those lines about, it's not just a one-off, oh, I'd do anything to it, but like he says it over and over again. So you almost get, Mm -hmm. you feel like you're being set up for something, you know, like this alliance that's this unholy alliance of, Mm -hmm. oh, if, you know, Churchill versus the Nazis, that's easy, but what about the Daleks? You know, like what if it's Churchill on the same side as the Daleks and that complicates things, but the Daleks never really align with Churchill and he never really aligns with them because like you said they're only serving him because of these ulterior motives and he's only using them because he doesn't really know what they are um right at no point are they really allies so I think no. uh, you know there's this sense of there's there's an idea in there that doesn't quite get used yeah um well and and so, you know, with World War II, you, you start thinking about, you know, like the atomic bomb and that kind of thing, right. which would, you know, I mean, that's something that they, I mean, obviously in the U.S. we had the Manhattan Project, yeah. but I mean, it's something that they were concerned about in England, sure, too. Yeah. It's not, it wasn't confined to, yeah. you know, U.S. So it definitely yeah. is something that, you know, when you start thinking about those sorts of weapons and, and tactics that were used that... Even, you know, from the Allied perspective, they're not things that are really good things to have done. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, using certain types of weaponry or, or even just, you know, picking targets that aren't maybe wholly military targets and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I feel like I, I they could have taken that idea a little bit further because uh, yeah. um, Moffat's brief to Mark Gatiss was, I want, you know... Uh, Churchill and the Daleks and Gatiss kind of tweaked that and said well you know the Daleks are obviously you know allied with the Nazis that's obvious you know that's pretty much their whole ideology in a nutshell but what if we complicate it and make it or maybe the original idea was Churchill versus the Daleks but Gatiss kind of made it what if it's Churchill and the Daleks that what if they're on the same side and that's less expected you know because you expect them to Mm -hmm. be little Nazis. You don't expect them to be fighting for the good guys. But the fact that they don't ever really... Yeah. You know, they aren't ever really on the same side, really. Um, 
Right. So, right. you know, uh, you know, I think an interesting premise that just needed some more work. Um, sure. Or sure. A potentially interesting anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think they could have. I think you're right. They could have done more. Although I have to say, I didn't dislike this episode quite as much as you sort of led me to believe <laughs> it should be <laughs> dislike. Um, and maybe, I, I mean, there's, I guess you were saying, or, well, you, you tell me like, you know, I think it's I, a number of different things. So I think that's one aspect is, you know, or at least in my view, one aspect that I would quibble with is the kind of lack for something that has a potentially really juicy setup Mm-hmm. The lack of moral ambiguity, you know, that it it doesn't ever really come into any sort of conflict between Churchill. It it pretty much, you know, everybody, you know who, what side everybody's on. And um, it doesn't get quite as complicated as I would hope, maybe. Um, there are other issues, too, but we can talk about them as they come up. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Well, I don't, I mean... What else about Churchill do you have? I I don't have a whole lot because honestly, sort of other than just being quippy and and you know smoking cigars, mm-hmm. I don't know that he does a whole lot. He doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, maybe that's another issue. You know, it's like, yeah. I mean, I don't have a whole lot else because all of those statements about how desperate he is to win and how he'll do anything to win. They don't really go anywhere, you know? Um, yeah. He kind of yeah, yeah. talks a lot of talk and then they send some spitfires into space and then they fly off and he goes back to doing his Churchill thing. So, you know, he's yeah. fine. No, it's not, it's not like a historical episode where you're, you know, meeting. I don't I don't even know Agatha Christie or whatever. You know yeah. what I mean? Like where she's like heavily involved yeah, and sort no, of helping less, to figure out, yeah. um, you know, what's going on and that kind of yeah. stuff. But, um, so yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well then let's move on to the doctor and Amy. Okay. Um, I guess the doctor first. So, um, okay. You know, obviously you, you kind of start off with the meeting Churchill and whatever, but it's the, I guess really, you know, the, the biggest thing that he does here is, is all related to the Daleks, right? It's, it's the immediate visceral response to seeing a Dalek, uh, or, or even, I guess even before he sees it, you know, he, he sees the laser or whatever, you know, shooting down the planes and he like, he says, it sounds like, and then it's kind of like, just stops and he's right. like, what is it? What is it? What's going on? Like, you and know, you he know knows what it is. What it yeah, is. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, that just sort of like, almost like, yeah, that, that, that wretched reaction he has to, mm. you know, the Daleks are here. What's going on? Yeah. Why are you here? Or what are you doing? Right. And fighting um, for the wrong side and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, why are you here even like, okay, I can understand if you were with the Nazis, but why are you here? (laughs) And like this, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, but the, the, you know, the, the sort of the moment I think that I think it's pretty obvious, but you know, we're sort of meant to pick up on is when he says, you know, why don't you, 
why don't you exterminate it? You know, why don't you get rid of it? And, and, you know, again, we're back to that idea of the doctor sort of being the one to commit genocide. Right. You know, and again, it's not, I think like the other stuff we've talked about, like it, they don't quite push it as far as that could go, but there is, you know, his use of that word exterminate is obviously, I mean, that's the word they use. So, you know, it's there, but, um, yeah, you do kind of get that sense. Like he's, I mean, on the ship, he's talking about, you know, you're the last, I can get rid of you once and for all, finally be done with you. Uh, but you know, again, you're back to that. I guess, I guess I see what you're saying. Like there's, there's ways they could, if they could make it more complex, that would be another spot. Like it would be more like with 10 where it's like, he doesn't even really want to give them a chance in well, this instance. Versus... Yeah. And let me, I want to talk about, um, the part where he is, gets really angry and tries to mm-hmm. provoke it to, you know, he's hitting to, it with the yeah, monkey wrench when he's and, yelling yeah. at it and his whole, I'm the doctor, you are the Daleks thing. Mm-hmm. That scene to me is very awkward. And I, I think I'm kind of figuring out why I think it's awkward. Um, I think there's two things, and maybe you can tell me whether you agree with me or not. You know, one, just from a point of view of how to characterize the 11th Doctor, it seems like they're going for, you know, kind of a... Well, I talked last week about how I don't think the 11th Doctor, you know, deals with anger quite the same way that, you know, the previous doctors have. And so you kind of get the sense of this is sort of a not good version of the, you know, the ninth doctor in Dalek, you know, when he kind of sees it again for the first time, is terrified of it, and then kind of screams at it about how he's glad that he destroyed them all and you know he's proud of it and he wants it to die and he like tortures it and all this stuff i don't think that really works i think that's a ninth doctor thing and so it Mm. just doesn't suit matt smith like it suits christopher eccleston really um so there's just the sense of that characterization there's something off there um but also just from like the narrative i don't think that makes sense that's a regression of the character that because that's how the ninth doctor reacted, but then we've been through the tenth doctor, who, while very you know not liking the Daleks, also we saw some compassion towards them. You know, in Daleks in Manhattan, he offers Dalek Sec, you know, a chance, or or Dalek Khan is it before he you know uh, disappears into the time war at the end. He kind of says like, "I'm gonna show you mercy," and he runs away. And then, you know, even in Journey's End, you get him sort of chastising his clone for killing them all. Um, so it it jars to me to suddenly be kind of thrown back into the doctor who, you know, is sort of violently looking to exterminate all Daleks, I guess. Um, so I, I think that's still a symptom of being in the first couple episodes of a new doctor and trying to figure him out. Um, 
I think they start to find their way towards a remedy for that, though, because to me, the big revelation is the scene where he pretends to have a bomb that's a, jo a jammy dodger. Um, and I think just the differences between those two scenes of one, he's like screaming at it and hitting it with the monkey wrench. And then the other, he has a cookie, which he's pretending is a self-destruct button. And it's not really, it's just he wants to stop them from killing him so that he can get information. I think they're, that's them. I think that scene works a lot better. Um, and it's starting to the, I think they're starting to figure out this is the kind, how does this doctor deal with the Daleks? And it's not by being, you know, violently angry with them. And it's not by being, you know, sort of restrained and compassionate with them. It's by, you know, being silly and tricking them, you know, which I think all the doctors do all those things to varying extents, but it's just a matter of like emphasis, I guess. Like, I don't know. Um, yeah. Given between those two scenes, I prefer the 11th doctor in with the jammy Dodger than the monkey wrench personally. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. No, I thought the same thing. And he, he's like kicking at it and whatever. Like it just doesn't work. It, 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 it seems a little over the top. Um, especially because that just seems like the doctor is such a nonviolent. Like yeah. if he, w if he wouldn't be hitting it when it was all captured and tied up, you know, in like the ninth doctor, yeah. you know, in, in, in the episode Dalek, like why would he be doing that now? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They're different personalities, whatever, but yeah. it just like, there are certain things that seem like the doctor wouldn't do in any incarnation. Yeah. And I, and that I seems kind to of, be one of them. I, I kind of, my head cannon, how I kind of dry swallow it is by saying um, <laughs> that he's trying to provoke it, that he's trying to get it to out itself that, Oh, you know, that he's trying to prove to them that it's as violent as he says it is. So, but it's, that's kind of my, way of forcing it into something that makes sense you know and i don't know whether it actually does or whether that's sort of the excuse you can make um but yeah. to their yeah. credit i think from this point they the characterization gets a lot more suited to matt smith and a lot more consistent um i think probably the beast below and victory of the daleks are the rough patches um not okay. You know. Well, that's fair. I mean, it's juries out. Like I said, I I didn't actually. I I kind of, and maybe it's sort of because you warned me that it's not as good of an episode. Yeah, like you're, maybe, I lowered your expectations. Yeah, maybe my expectations were lower, so I was just kind of had fun with it. But no, I I definitely see what you're saying, and you're right. I I did feel like that scene itself was not quite in character with sort of the doctor as a conception overall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ev even taking into account that there are sort of different, you know, character personality traits, personality yeah. traits. Yeah. Whatever, you know, in different doctors, but, um, anyway, uh, yeah, the whole, well, and, and the threatening, you know, to destroy the TARDIS, you know, I mean, obviously we know it's a cookie, yeah. it's a biscuit or whatever, but it's, 
you know, like even the Daleks are like calling him out. Yeah. On it. They're like, you would, you would never do that. Yeah. We, we know you would never do that. What? <laughs> um, so yeah, like it's one of those things like, I'm not sure if that's funny or if it's like just kind of weird and sad. Um, <laughs> I think it's but funny. Anyway. Um, it, that's it though. is, but then he keeps doing it. Like even after they call him out on it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, okay. Um, and then at the end, I guess the, the sort of the other big moment is, is the, where he, you know, he's talking about, you know, the, that the Daleks got away mm. and, and he's like, I had a choice. And they knew I'd choose the Earth. The Daleks have won. They beat me. They've won. And he's kind of upset about yeah. that. Like, Amy has to say, yeah, but you saved the yeah. Earth. <laughs> like, it's not too shabby, is it? You know, is it? And I don't know. Again, like, you get that moment of, like, I mean. I don't like that would, either. <laughs> would, it gets would on my he... nerves because it feels like it's building to something that doesn't happen. You know, it's like. It, there always just seems like an anticlimax to that moment. Um, well, and also, it's it goes against even with this doctor. Yeah. What we've seen in the first episode of, you know, is the Earth protected? Yeah. You know, look back at all of the history of the Earth. You know what I can do. Yeah. You know, tell me, is this Earth protected? That's what he does. Yeah. So for him to sort of be questioning, and I, I get the Daleks are the number one, you know, yeah. enemy that the doctor has. Yeah. So yes, the opportunity to destroy them completely, but why does he want to destroy them completely? It's to save the right, earth. Right. So, you know, the, the idea that he might've chosen to destroy the Daleks, but also destroy the earth at the same time. Doesn't, it doesn't sell sense yeah. to me, especially when just two episodes ago, he was, he right. was giving us that, is right, the earth Galifrey, protected, yeah. you know? Yeah. Look, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. that's that's just my Yeah, and I think cents, much but... like, much like, again, like the actor finding ways to play it, that play the doctor that suit him, I think there, there always is, in, with a new doctor, you know, the writers don't necessarily know quite, kind of, Again, they're sort of thrown back into not knowing who they're writing for. And so they do tend to write for sort of generic doctor rather than... And it's always better, I think, when they're writing for a specific doctor. You know, that when you can... You sure. have a clear understanding of... It just gives you better motivation to know who the character is and how he reacts. And, you know, how does he approach a situation as opposed to, you know... You end up with something kind of wishy-washy when you don't really know who you're writing for, I think. Um, so I think it's just part and parcel of that. You know, I think that gets stronger as each doctor goes on, you know, as the writers learn mm -hmm. how to write for him and everything. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. Um, so, okay. I mean, so that's what I have to say about the doctor. I don't know. Any other moments or... Um, one other out? thing, and I guess this can transition us into Amy, is um, I like the slight distinction when they're when they're trying to sort of talk down the bomb, which is Bracewell. Um, 
you know, and, and they're trying to get him to, you know, prove that he's human and to feel, you know, we're back to memory again and that your memory is yeah, what yeah. makes you human and everything. Um, and But I like the distinction between what the doctor sort of has him focus on is the pain of losing his family, you know, that good, good, brilliant, embrace it, that means you're alive, and that, you know, there's something positive about that, but also what you're embracing is your own pain and loss, and that that's what the mm. doctor sort of focuses on, whereas Amy sort of flips it. Um, and and yeah. when that doesn't work, she makes it about... Um, love or just even just simple attraction you know that just right, right. more positive well, you know just that get you to think of something positive as opposed to focusing on your pain focus on you know the kind of excitement of fancying somebody you shouldn't and and, and isn't that kind of thrilling in a dangerous but fun sort of way um yeah and, and i think you're right it's not quite love it's it but it's i think the idea is more that it's potential yeah and that's sort of what other you know ideas around you know humanity from a doctor who standpoint mm. is 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 it's about potential it's about what humanity will or can become it's not that maybe they're worth a lot right now but it's that they will be and that they can be if they choose to be. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's, that's what seems more than the love itself. It's, it's the, you fancy her and there's in, in fancying someone, there's a potential there yeah. that more can develop. Uh, yeah. At least that's sort of the way I interpret it. Um, yeah. Obviously that's not always the case. There's also the sad sort of fancying where nothing ever develops, yeah. but I don't think that that's what she's talking about. I think she's talking about the other kind. Well, of and and there seems to be a a value in the fancying itself that you know you shouldn't, but it's fun to imagine anyway. Um, and it hurts, but kind of a good hurt. You know that there's kind of something. It's it's painful, but not a depressing painful. It's a it's a positive yeah. kind of pain, which, like the doctor says, that means you're alive. You know, there's something good about it i guess um but yeah. i think like a nice yeah. sort of contrast between what the doctor thinks makes you human versus what amy thinks you know or what is right. it if, if right. you're asked to feel something what is it that the doctor feels as opposed to what amy feels yeah no it's clearly more illuminating for their characters than it is for bracewell sure. at all i mean you know yeah. yeah he gives his little story about the girl and blah 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 but um, it's, it's like you said, it's really focused on what are they considering to be, yeah. the, you know, the worthy aspects of humanity. And it's not like either one of them is more right than the other. It's just, yeah. like you said, they're both kind of like, there is a goodness to remembering the pain, mm -hmm. but there's also a goodness to remembering or thinking about the potential yeah. as well. So. Yeah. Anyway. And you um, get the, you know, not to make too big of a thing of it, but you get the conspicuous look, you know, when she says, ever fancy yeah. someone you shouldn't, and she looks, you know, straight at the doctor. So you get that, too. You know, you're getting, and we've seen that's not new for Mamie. I mean, we saw her, that she's sort of a 
salty kind of character anyway, but then, you know, you get the doctor stripping off in front of her, and Rory says, are you going to turn your back? And she says, nope. So, this yeah. isn't the first yeah. hint we've got that Amy is somebody who might fancy people. Um, and, you know, that that's, she's seems to be kind of part of her personality, is she's sort of flirtatious and, um, you know. Yep. Well, yeah. So, on that note, I guess, to continue talking about Amy. Um, so, yeah. So, well, I guess sort of most directly with that is we get her upset at not being able to go with yeah. him uh, when he heads up to the Dalek spaceship. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get that sense of, like, her... Yeah, she's being left behind. Um, I was just thinking, like, wow, that kind of flows her into, own abandonment you know, issues. The, the, the abandonment yeah, yeah. issues of, of Definitely. We're, what we're talking about with Buffy. Definitely. Um, well, cause but yeah, like Amy's an orphan, and we know that she's spent, you know, a lot of her, you know, growing up life feeling, you know, at first abandoned by the doctor, and then even alone in that he might not even have been real in the first place. Um, and he's come and gone a couple times now, so... Um, right. Yeah, so it's sort of... Yeah, and... It's sort of personally, and like, you know, I think, not offensive, but it's. I think it's more personal for her to be ups- left behind upsetting. than it would be Definitely. for somebody else, yeah. Yeah, um... And and so you get, well, and and then with the sort of revelation that there may be some fancying yeah. there, you know, like that it's that it's more than just, uh, you know, oh, I'm being left behind, but it's it's this person, even you know, it, and there's that condescendingness to it, right? Like you stay here for your own good, and yeah, you know, she has a good point. Like there's literally bombs. Yeah falling above my head so how is this going to keep me safer um you know and and he just says well it's as safe as it gets around me but at the same time like he's leaving her so it's not around right you know what i mean like like again you have that sort of like weird duality of of well i want to protect you by leaving you here but if he's leaving he can't he's not really protecting her right he's he's abandoning her so yeah anyway um yeah i i you know i mean that's sort of the the big moment um you know between the two of them Mm -hmm. then there's sort of the opposite of okay he abandons her and now she's the one who sort of comes up with the idea of how to stop the beam right she's the one who right. remembers that there's this gravity bubble and and kind of prompts and prods and pushes everyone together <laughs> kind to, of bullies everybody to, into <laughs> to to get to the you know point where she's the one ends up kind of saving the doctor you know in the long yeah run. yeah or at least distracting the daleks long enough for him to sort of formulate his own plan or whatever so um yeah, and I mean, if we're being, you know, charitable, I don't know that it that, that there's anything that indicates that this is a solid reading or not. But 
you could imagine that the doctor sort of left her there for that purpose that I need a I need someone on the ground sort of you know now he doesn't I don't get that sense yeah I mean I think I, I, I don't get that sense again when, like in you the could moment kind of force it into that but I don't know that the episode really supports that well enough yeah in the moment I I get it that it's more condescending that yeah. it's because he says he says it's dangerous so you wait here like this isn't it's like be a good girl right. and wait for me to come right. back. I don't, I don't get the sense that it's, I need someone because he's said, I mean, not Matt Smith, but you know, other doctors have said that sort of thing. Like I need you, right. your help here or whatever. Or, or you get like, you know, Rose gets to the point where instinctively she sort of knows that she needs to go somewhere else right. other than the doctor. And Martha, even more so than sure, Rose, yeah. I would say, has that sort of instinct of, you know, the doctor sends her away, but it's not, I'm sending you away so that you can be safe. It's I'm sending you away because I need you to save me. Yeah, you know, I like I need you to, yeah. to, to, to do this thing that's going to end up and not just himself, but everybody. So yeah. like there's, there's other instances where companions have been asked either to leave or to stay or, you know, yeah. in some form, not be with the doctor Right. Well, but then again, you get the doctor sending Rose back, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think in it, time. it's an, it's so an like, ongoing like, it's an ongoing issue, I think, of there, there there's multiple, you know, sort of instances of both things, I guess is is where we can kind of come down on it. Well, but I, I think in this it, it's a that's kind of a kind maybe a little bit of a theme is the doctor's slight tension between I mean, it is that you know, actually, now that I think about this, this contradiction doesn't bother me so much because, you know, you think about him in the specials not having companions because of what happens to them, you know, and being sort of afraid to bring them on because of yeah the fear for them and the pain of losing them. And so I think it is, it's consistently inconsistent in the sense that I think he's torn between knowing he needs companions and wanting to rely on them and trust them. And also being occasionally finding that a difficult thing and wanting to keep them safe. And it is the kind of thing of, you know, you can't bring the companions with you and keep them safe all the time. So, and he's torn between those things. So sometimes he's going to trust them and rely on them and let them be independent. And sometimes he's going to screw up and treat them like they're kids, you know? Um, And probably all of the doctors do a little bit of both, you know, it kind of sort of depends on the mood of the moment, you know, whether yeah. he lets well, them and... flourish or whether he sort of holds them back. Um, so maybe, I... maybe that's within the character, you know, that that's kind of a part of his own sort of personal issues, I guess. Yeah. And I think in this doctor too is, is, you have to remember that he saw Amy as a little girl, what, seven, yeah. seven year old yeah. or whatever it was initially. So there, and you get the kiss on the forehead, the kiss you know, on the forehead, like, yeah, which is a very paternal yeah, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Like it, you know, yeah, so, yeah. He said you, you were a little <clears throat> girl five minutes ago, you know? Um, yeah, 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 exactly. So there's, there is that, that protectiveness again, yeah. that, that protectiveness there and, and all of that. So, yeah. <clears throat> which, 
you know, there, and there's also a sort of accuracy of she probably is the safest place in London at that time, you know, right. or whatever. So, yeah, I think it's a complicated, you know, which fair enough, you know, people are contradictory and complicated. And actually, when I do think about it, as much as that does contradict other times that the doctor's been independent, let them be independent. There are the times where he holds them back and is afraid for them and is afraid to have them and to let them be put in danger. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, you know, that's fine. Like, I think you're right there. There's sort of both ways to look at that. Um, but, but then again, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's that leaving her behind, you know, she, it's good to see that she doesn't just sit there and sort of mope about it or anything. Like she yeah. comes up with a plan. She puts things together to, to help out and, and figures out, you yeah. know, the way to, to stop this thing that could, you know, destroy London. Um, so good, good stuff there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What else uh, do you have on Amy? Well, what else do I have on Amy? Um, well, I guess two things. I mean, just kind of jumping off of that, like that kind of pluck is the word I keep coming back to with her. You know, she's very straightforward and very sort of practical. And so you get things, and, and she's streetwise too. You know, we've got that with her going and picking the lock and stuff. And then she is kind of a, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe a more in a different way than Xander, maybe a more street smart as opposed to, you know, like she seems kind of wily that way. So you get her, mm -hmm. um, you know, catching Churchill, trying to steal the TARDIS key and everything. Um, oh yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, I guess the other thing I want to make sure we bring up with Amy and then we can kind of talk about the Daleks and the last couple of minutes is, um, her, relationship or lack of relationship to the Daleks because the doctor sort of is surprised yeah. to find that she doesn't know what they are. <clears throat> yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I want it. I want it. I was trying to figure out how, what we're supposed to know about that because what invasion is he talking? He's about? talking about um, the stolen earth. And Journey's End. Okay. Okay. But how old would she have been at that point? What's that? How old would she have been at that point? Well, I that's only that's... a couple of years ago. Because, so... A couple of years ago from when she was seven? No. No, because... Why not? When she's... She's supposed to be... So this is supposed to be more or less 2010. Um, because... It's always more or less consistent with when the companion is there. So when yeah, she's a wouldn't... little girl, okay. So it's like when he when she's a little girl, it's the late '90s or something. Mm. See, I didn't. If that's the case, then that's poorly made out, <laughs> because I was taking when she was a little girl to be the present time. Okay, no, she's supposed to be the little girl. Um, 
like it's it's like supposed to be like 1997 or something or whatever um mm. and so then when he and there that actually will be made very clear because i can think of instances when the dates of 2010 become important in this series um so okay it's well defin- i mean it's, if it's definite i mean maybe they didn't communicate that well enough but definitely amy's time is 2010 grown-up amy's time grown-up yeah amy's so theoretically that, that i'm just gonna go out there and say that's a huge hole then because that is not clear at all from what i've seen just so far well uh, don't right. you just assume i just always i mean if she's no i assumed i assumed that when she was seven was the current time because that's when we first saw her yeah but but i there's nothing in her as a grown-up time that communicates that it's the future her grown-up time seems to be contemporary well but it's not that far into the future yeah you know what i mean like it's it there's nothing in the past that this show that it's the 90s you know what i mean like yeah i don't it that never really bothered me i have to be honest well it insofar as when you're trying to figure out you know, him talking about the Daleks and why she should remember the Daleks. If yeah. if she was five at the time, there's no necessary, not necessarily a reason why she should remember the Daleks. Right. Well, <clears throat> so that, yeah, so that, this is one that's of the where ways it of becomes. Communicating that is saying like, you know, in theory. Yeah, it's a poor one. If it okay. is. <laughs> well, in any case, the stolen earth should have been a couple years ago. So she should from, remember it. From her from, being 20 From her something. being 20-something. Yes. Okay. So that's the idea. So that's why the doctor's sort of confused about that. Because um, she has no idea what the Daleks are. And he says... Doesn't he say something about the stolen planets, too? Now I don't remember. Um, well, no, he does. He does. He says something about, yeah, stolen planets in the sky or whatever. Mm-hmm. But... But again, if you're if you're thinking about that from her being twenty years old, right. then that's fine. If you're thinking about it from her being seven right, years right, old, right. that's a different issue, right. and that's how I was thinking of it. Because you know, why would again? There's no there's no indication that when we first see her, that it's the late nineties, right? So the, so I just assumed that it was not the late nineties; that it was the present day. Mm-hmm. And and nothing really changes visually or or in any indication from her being a little girl to the to the I guess what's the present time. Right. So there's no there and presumably the present time there wouldn't have been much of a change either. There, I, it seems like there's we're not talking about like fifty years in the future, which even doesn't change that much. Like when he, you know, when waters of Mars, like yeah, they're on Mars. Okay, that's different. But like, right, the last few minutes when they're back on Earth in the episode, there's no real indication that fifty years have passed. Either. Right. So there's, right. I, I I think to rely on people just sort of yeah. thinking that it's the late nineties when we first see Amy, yeah, is a bit of a stretch. And and I think. I, I don't know. It, it threw me mm-hmm. anyway. Maybe it didn't throw anyone else. But Okay. Well, now we've sorted that out. I guess. I'm still not convinced, but we'll, well watch it. We'll keep watching. I mean, 
it is what it is. I mean, I can't argue that they sh shouldn't have made it clearer if it wasn't clear. But, I mean, the, it's certainly, I think, by this point clear and will be made even clearer as the series goes on. So I think maybe a failure of communication there. But, um, but definitely Amy, grown-up Amy, is located in the year 2010. Um, so. Okay. Um, what else would you like to go over about the Daleks? I, you know, they're still Daleks. <laughs> they're multicolored now. They're, yeah, they're they're multiracial Daleks. Uh, they're eye Daleks. I I Daleks. Oh God, is that what they're well, called? Yeah, not not. I mean, officially. is that kind of what? Yeah, people have called people them. People have called yeah. them that, and I, anecdotally, they're not hugely popular with almost anybody um they were sort of other than i think kids you know who i don't mean to talk down and say that you know hey like moffat kind of said as long as the kids are happy i'm happy you know but um a lot of the rest of the audience were uh annoyed by the multicolored daleks really yes. I I mean I don't know I don't know that I was annoyed by them. Yeah, they're, I mean I don't friend, really like what that seems that seems a little weird to be annoyed by the fact yeah. that they're different colors. Yeah. Um, um it's an, actually another case of something which um Moffat kind of took from again those Peter Cushing films because just like the TARDIS was bright blue and Technicolor the Daleks were mm. multicolored. So rather than being in black and white, they had these sort of bright, you know, bold colors. And it was something that he and Mark Gatiss liked um, when they were kids. So, and it's, again, like, you have a new doctor, a new companion, a new TARDIS, a new logo, a new theme music, everything. It's like, well, we might as well redesign the Daleks, too. You know, if we're changing everything, we got to change everything. Um so, but this was one of the less successful of the changes, um, at least according to the fan consensus anyway. Right. Um, well, and they sort of, they obliterate the old dollars yeah. too. So there's like that passing of the torch, so to speak, sure. I guess. Yeah. Like, you know, this, this idea that they're, they're the new ones, they're in charge you guys are old and and now these are you know once again we're back to sort of the distinction between pure dalek and yeah Im, impure or, or not yeah we're getting rid of dalek. that davros um, dna and all that sort of you know yeah that's what i was just going to ask that like i i assume that that's still what they were talking I about think right so, that it yeah. was the yeah. the new the the new breed that davros had made yeah. so now we're back to like original Dalek. Yeah. yeah. Um, we interesting to see how many more ways there can be just one more Dalek around, mm -hmm. you know, to sort of keep the race going. Yeah. I, I guess that just never gets old. No. Um, the uh, yeah. Do do we get a real? We don't really get an explanation, right? It's just I he escaped from the the whole yeah i don't think it's stuff. like i don't think it's like a 
time jump like they've done before. It seems to just be like a. I was able know. to get out of yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, like in time. Yeah, distract them long enough with the bomb before we can kind of rev up the engines and get out of here. And no, no, no. I mean, I mean, I mean, the the other Daleks, the the. The Daleks, the Davros Daleks, I guess, for lack of a better oh, term. How, oh, I don't think how we they get escaped. a really good explanation for that. No, it's just that there's always one or two that escape, isn't there? It's sort of the rule. Seems um, to be. Yeah. They're never going to be completely Like, I mean, it certainly wasn't, It there was no setup. No. You know, like we've gotten another, like there was no like seeing a Dalek sort of flying away by himself. Right, right. You know, right. Like, we're like, we're like know. Dalek Khan. Like, there's that one lone survivor or something. Yeah, the the temporal shift. No, right. no, I yeah, don't no, no. think I, there was anything like that. Yeah, at the end of the episode, no. I mean, that's a big part of the Doctor's sort of chagrin, right? right. Of, of, you know, I could either kill the Daleks or I could save the Earth. I couldn't do right, both. Right, right. So, so that's, no, that's clear that they're using that as a ruse to escape. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not a ruse, because they were going to blow them up. I mean, it wasn't like a trick or anything. They really were going to do that. No, Um, it wasn't like the Jammy Dodger. It was like an actual threat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't don't mind the bigger, brighter... I don't either, actually. (laughs) Like, they're fine. Like, I don't know that the color of the... I mean, it's not like we've not had other colored... Daleks before, even in this episode, the right. quote regular Daleks aren't regular Daleks because they're different. They're like they have like army green, right? And right. Stuff, you know, yeah. Like, and we've had like black ones and gold ones. Yeah, and stuff. yeah. The yeah. the the Dalek sec and mm-hmm. Dalek Khan and all, you know the Cult of Scar right. were all right. yeah different I, colors. I I've never really found a good reason why people don't like them. Just it's sort of a gut aesthetic thing that. There's something about that that seems to annoy I mean, maybe a certain type of fan. <laughs> maybe it's because they're too like too much like primary color. Like they're they're like Lego right, colors, right. And not, I think that's what know, they're like, getting at with the idolic thing is they're just a little too sort yeah. of I don't know polished yeah, or body whatever. or something. I don't know, but I guess yeah. I don't. I don't. It doesn't. I don't. I did of. The things that could be complained about in this episode, I think that's, like that's yeah, I'm with way down on the I'm list. With it really didn't bother me. Um, I have to say, I really, really enjoy Daleks pretending to serve people. Um, like maybe my yeah. favorite thing about this episode is Daleks <laughs> scooting around asking people in their harsh tone if they would like some tea. Why do you care about some tea? Yeah, and yeah. then serving it on a little tray, like. That yeah. is an inspired idea, um, I have to say. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I I enjoy that too. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of little like things like yeah. that. And, yeah. And and the attempt to convince and actually I I kind of just like the idea of that the Daleks are are it's a ruse yeah. like the, their whole thing that they're doing is is to trick the Doctor, which doesn't seem like their normal modus operandi right. they're they're typical typically what they do is pretty straightforward right, right. like it's you know they don't yeah they might use tactics and stuff but there's not like this level of like you know intrigue and, yeah. and mysteriousness to it and you know yeah yeah denying like 
who they are and who the doctor is and all of that. That's like that something that seems sort of antithetical. That's something that Mark Gatiss to what talk, they usually Mark Gatiss talked about that too. And I think that's something he did pull off was um, he and I think a lot of fans think highly of this episode called Power of the Daleks from the 60s. And it's actually um, one of the lost episodes. Um, but but okay. there's... Um, I think the audio from it exists and there's fan reconstructions and there's like a novelization. So there's enough that people know what the story was like and everything. Um, mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons people do hold it so highly is that the Daleks in that are very wily and cunning. Um, and so he wanted to sort of try to recapture that a little bit, the sense that they're um, a little bit more intelligent um and maybe don't approach things quite as sort of bluntly and violently but sort of sneak around and try to outsmart people and you know um i think he did a good job of that yeah cool um i yeah i do too so there's daleks running about the universe i'm guessing we will see them yeah again you will never point. defeat us doctor we will return um, and then they zoom away yeah right right uh bracewell also sort of escapes um after yeah. he's told many times that he is going to be allowed to um, yeah after like a ridiculous amount of hints <laughs> he finally yeah, gets yeah. it yeah uh it seems like a decent guy robot mm -hmm. Besides, I'm trying to decide whether I think he'll come back or not. Like, I have a feeling, like, he probably won't. But then there's, like, that part of me that says, well, you know, they kind of just created this guy. So why not bring him back again at some right. point? I don't right. know. Um, and I'm not looking for you to tell me. I just, just, those are my thoughts, mm. which are that I'm indecisive. Yeah. Um, so, Yeah. Like I said, I I didn't mind this episode maybe as much as mm -hmm. uh, I I thought I might, but that might be precisely why I didn't mind it as much as because right, I thought right. I wouldn't. <laughs> um, so you know, obviously there's some stuff that are not that isn't as good, and uh, you know we'll deal with that. But we do get that final uh, once the TARDIS yeah. leaves, we get the crack again. Mm. Yes. Um, so. Yeah. Intriguing. Um, well. And and so my assumption is, because now we've learned that Amy doesn't remember the Daleks, mm. and I'm taking what you say as accurate, because you know, and I don't, uh, that she should remember this because she would have been in her early 20s or late teens anyway when the Stolen Earth right. uh, occurred. So... I'm assuming that those two things sort of have something in common. Like there's, there's either a common cause or one causes the other, mm. or there's, there's something, some sort of relationship between those, the cracks and her not remembering the Daleks. Right. And that the return then of the Daleks maybe has something to do with the cracks itself. Mm. Like if that there's something going on sort of around all of that, like, like that their return has somehow inhibited other people's remembrance. Mm. So I don't, I don't yeah. know. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it is a kind of be... conspicuous juxtaposition of 
the doctor saying, you should remember this, and then the TARDIS fades away, and behind them is the crack on the wall. So I think yeah, yeah. that seems reasonable to connect the two things together, yeah. All right, well, cool. Good good stuff, I guess. Uh, we'll, we'll come back next week, I guess, keep talking about this more. All right, see you then. <laughs>